Hi, everybody. Hello, Royfield. Hello, Rick. Hello, hello, David. Hello, Aisha. And let's see who else. Bonita, Dr. Elizabeth, Yashvin, Christine, and Ashley. Welcome to I'm Dr. So, Hardaway's neighborhood. Welcome to my, na- <laughs> my neighborhood, exactly. And let me first tell you all that this this was uh, particularly Barbara Annis's topic, since she is a gender intelligence expert. Um, but Barbara Annis hurt herself yesterday and can't be here today. And so I am going to fake it till I make it. And the the only thing I can say is that it's been made really easy for me by events over the last 24 hours. Oh, first of all, let me tell you, this is the Karma Club. It's been going on now for, I don't know how long, Heyman, two years. And and we're going to keep it going even longer. And we probably will turn it into a house as soon as I figure out how we do that. Because when you turn something into a house, um, you have certain tools that you don't have um, with a club right now, including more um, more publicity from Clubhouse, which has rewritten all the code for the app. This is of no interest to any of you, I'm sure, except for people like me and Heyman and Andrea. Um, oh, well, t- I take it back. Uh, anybody who holds rooms and houses because and has clubs because Clubhouse actually has decided that it is going to, it wants to be a clubhouse and that community is very important to it. And so it is going to start publicizing rooms that are communities and houses that are communities. And so if you have a a community, they're going to give you more, um, they're going to give you a little bit more airtime. And um, and so that's why eventually I'm going to turn it into a house. And it, I have a house now. It's called Karma House. And if you are not on the waiting list and you have any desire to be included in what I do from henceforth, put yourself on the waiting list. Because they just, I was up to the, the uh, capacity for houses until they raised it yesterday. So now they've raised the capacity for houses. So just my waiting list is open. Put yourself on the waiting list and um, join the house when it materializes. Okay, that's enough of that. So in the last 24 hours, one of the most, yes, thank you. There it is. That is how I've been helped by the gods, the gods of... (laughs) The gods of community, Um, because Jacinda Arden resigned last night. I I don't know what time New Zealand time it was, but she resigned. She is the prime minister of New Zealand. She is going to be out of there by February 7th. She had one election and re-election. She had taken New Zealand through the pandemic and um and whatever happened you know before it and she has a really good reputation and this was what got me about her resignation i don't know if any of you have read the articles or seen the articles but it they they couldn't have I mean, empathy, women and leadership, it couldn't be a more perfect article. She said, I don't have, I examined myself and I don't have enough left in the tank to do this job. And so I'm going to resign. And she didn't have to do that. And I'm wondering if you know, any man would have, there's this, a whole bunch of sides to this issue for me. One is, what does this say about women in leadership? Then, and another one is, um, is, are women better leaders because when they don't have it in the tank, they're willing to say so and quit? Um, 
how how will this affect New Zealand? You know, I mean, there's just so many things. You know, Heyman, Andrea, any any thoughts? Yeah. Well, I feel well. No, I, I'm, I'm also curious to know is what the leaders would say. I mean, uh, there's a lot of lot of leader uh, women leaders and uh, male leaders also in our audience. So please join us anytime. Um, I think it's also how it'll be taken, right? Like there's this mentality of, uh, you know, you got to be tough and uh, show. Oh, it's good. It's... Denise, Denise just joined as a listener. She will be a perfect person to have in this discussion. Yeah. And I think it's men are seen as, you know, they take it and they keep going. And I like, hopefully these, uh, I, I'm curious now, I'll listen to the male alpha male chatters that are goes on, on our, in our social world. And I'm sure they'll say, oh, she's not able to take care of their role is in the home or something like that. Right. Which I'm sure they're going to make. But I think it's, she's a very, she's very capable. She's much more capable than most political leaders as we know. Right. Because when during that crisis that happened in uh, New Zealand, the shooting and then later on the pandemic, she was, she was ranked. Oh as my the best God. I had leader. forgotten about the shooting. Yeah. She was ranked as like one of the best uh, leaders, not even based on gender. It's just, just leaders. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I had thought, but, and, and I'm not even so worried about what people will think of her. There's another side to this. Which is what about um, what about people being in politics altogether? You know, Heyman, you you said macho men would all say, you know, she ought to just suck it up and go on, but they didn't. I was in Catherine's newsroom this morning, and they all said, "Good for her. It's exhausting." In fact, it was Rick who said this. But remember, that's so, a selective audience, though, right? I'm just thinking of the broader scale of all these leaders that are in our world. But I'm, Rick put it so well. I, you know, I don't know if he wants to come up. Okay, Rick, don't let me plagiarize you. What did you say this morning about politics? Well, you know, when I heard this, I just thought, you know, everybody always says politicians are dishonest, and this shows that a really great politician is completely honest, including about their own, uh, their own mental and physical health. And that's what I see. I mean, we see it all the time in our country where people stay in jobs well past what they should. And, you know, yes, you are sort of making a commitment to your voters to stay in for an entire term. But how often do politicians say, I'm going to run for a bigger office, so I'm not going to complete my term, or I got appointed to a cabinet, so I'm not going to complete my term. This happens all the time, but it's always for, for a personal advancement and not personal truth. And to me, I just have uh, uh, the utmost respect for somebody just saying, hey, you know, I just can't do this anymore. It, the job takes so much out of you. You know, everybody thinks pol politics is easy. It's not. Half the people hate you all the time. And, uh, you know, you're you're getting pulled from a hundred different directions. It is not at all like being a CEO of a company where your mission is to make a profit. It's, it's much, much more difficult than that in reality. Um, when you're not legislating, you're raising money or you're campaigning or you're going to events or you're kissing babies. And, uh, you know, I just think that we could all learn a lesson from this. Know your limits and respect them. Oh, <laughs> we have, you know, a government full of old men. And, you know, do you think either one of them would ever have admitted that they didn't 
have enough left in the tank. You know, I mean, that is really crazy. But the former New Zealand prime minister has said that she faced, that Jacinda faced unprecedented um, attacks during her time in office. The pressures on prime ministers are always great. But in this era of social media clickbait and 24-7 media cycles, Jacinda has faced a level of hatred and vitriol, which in my experience is unprecedented in our country. Okay, so that's, and that is New Zealand. Uh, Now, uh, remember that she's not here in the United States or in the UK, you know, where, where it could be much worse. All right, Andrea, Rothfield. Um, hey there. Uh, I, hey there, I miss you. Yeah, we can catch up after this. Um, hey, everybody. Uh, look, some OGs here on the stage that I haven't seen for a while. Um, I, I think first I'd like to just stop for a moment and, you know, just encapsulate. She was uh, Jacinda without getting into the uh, national politics of New Zealand. I'm not the best person placed for that, but I was inspired by her leadership being one of the youngest prime ministers uh in the in the world and uh one of the you know a young leader as well and a woman and what she actually uh shepherded I think she you know had a a young child uh and a and a great partner uh well I can't speak to that relationship but she had a partner that uh you know kind of was in her with it cuz anyone in that type of leadership position if you have a family you know that is a joint effort uh no matter what <laughs> and then um i think what she shepherded the country through from uh you know uh gun attacks, uh, you know, terrorist gun attack and uh, quickly acting on gun laws and a volcanic eruption and uh, her leadership in COVID during COVID with a very swift lockdown to protect citizens. uh, And of course, her wonderfully poised response to um, a uh, reporter's question about why she was hanging out with uh, Sana Marin, the other young uh, inspirational prime minister from Finland. Uh, so she's just, uh, you know, embodied, uh, I think, grace under pressure and healthy attitudes uh, towards leadership. And, uh, you know, at least from the outside, uh, you know, kind of governing for uh, for the people. And so I was incredibly excited about that. And it is a whole other, um, her quote, uh, I'm just going to quote and then I'll wrap up. But I think the quote that was uh, quite uh, interesting uh, that she said was, uh, you know, as to my time in the job, I hope to leave New Zealanders with the belief that you can be kind, strong, empathetic, but decisive, optimistic, but focused. Uh, and that you can be your own kind of leader, one who knows when it's time to go. Um, and so, you know, I think knowing your limits and, and putting an emphasis on health uh, and not just power grabbing, which is something that we're seeing a lot of, especially by people who aren't even who they say they are and fabricate their entire past. I won't name names, uh, but I will name states here in New York uh, representing us in Congress. Um I think it's refreshing and I have a lot more to say about it, about like, you know, there are different studies, but I think that's the room better for um, with Barbara where it looks at, you know, just the neuro chemistry science around women leader and how they lead and collaboration. Uh, but, uh, and then yeah, I, think, some- I think we'll just put that part off to next right. week, but this week, this week it could be a broader discussion of, what is going to happen to politics if everybody with empathy leaves? <laughs> you know, it's like, or, or you know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure I put that in the right way. Royfield, help me out here, buddy. You don't need help from me, but I'll, I'll throw my two penneth worth in. Um, she did something very powerful in office, and very obviously she was an exemplary leader but she gave birth while still being the Prime Minister of New Zealand. 
and that, that showed that you could be a mother in the in the full sense of the word and still lead your country and and she wasn't the first female elected leader to do this but she's definitely the most prominent because i can't remember the first so um but i'd like to slightly temper at least the premise of this now i thought she was a rock star as a leader absolutely did uh however we can't assign to her you know extraordinary tenets of leadership because she was a woman she was her um we've had three female prime ministers in the uk and none of them had the empathy that she had um indira gandhi yeah can was, we say liz truss oh well there you go um <laughs> one second there seven six nine six sorry about that uh, some food has just come um yeah, liz truss absolutely didn't <laughs> but even look at somebody like indira gandhi uh, and also Golda Meir, right? These were really strong leaders. And I know we're going back a generation or two, but these were strong elected female leaders who didn't, um, you know, they weren't mothers of their nation. They were just strong leaders. So I think we need to be slightly careful that considering there has been a female prime minister of Canada, there's been th three of Britain, we had Angela Merkel. No one is ascribing to her um, empathy in the way that Jacinta Ardern had. However, Angela Merkel maybe showed uh, her political deafness in a slightly different way. So let's not completely run away with it and say this proves that women leaders are better than men or lead in a different way. Probably it's a better way of putting it because there's lots of evidence to say most female elected leaders, um, when they get up that greasy pole, act in a way which is all too recognisable. However, she didn't and she should be applauded for that. Ew, that greasy pole. Okay, thank you. And, um, and, and put Thatcher on the list. Well, yeah. she, she, she's most obviously the elephant in the room. And I, and I said we had three female prime ministers in Britain, and she most, you know, she didn't have any female cabinet ministers and deliberately didn't. So let that sink in. And as a Sri Lankan, I need to point out that the first female leader of a democratic country was Bandaranaika. She was the first person in the world. So thank you. Thank you for pulling me up on that. Well done. Seriously, well, Michael, you are an empathetic man. What's your take on this, as Greg Sattel would say? Francine, been a long time. <laughs> it's been a long time. Uh, Thank you for saying that. Why do you that, think I've dragged you up on stage? <laughs> um, hey, Andrea, Denise, everybody. Uh, yeah, I mean, thanks for saying that. I, you know, look, the people in my field, who brought, broadly speaking work with organizations, organization development and training, coaching, all of that to, you know, make, you know, help organizations become more, more people centered. And, um, you know, broadly speaking, it's been going in the direction of incorporating much more, I don't, wouldn't say empathy training, but there's other ways of saying it, but essentially that is what it is. And so this is, this is where we're headed as a field. So just to give you guys a reality check on that, like that's where things have been headed. I think the pivotal moment was when Google did that study in, somebody helped me, was it 2017, 2016, somewhere in there where they um, realized that teams were more effective when they actually were more empathetic with one another and they, when they were allowing turn-taking and they were actually being aware of each other's needs and a bunch of other indices. So, you know, it became, oh, well, when Google says it, you know what I mean? When it's, when it's Google, when it is, you know, a very scientifically minded company with lots of very, you know, you know, kind of more, data based on men. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Exactly. Data, I'm sorry. Data based on young white men. You're talking about the data before that from that particular just, study? I have no idea what the data was in that study, but most data from most studies is heavily influenced by white men. For sure. For sure. I don't know how they broke that down in particular in, inside of Google. They may have been able to manage to keep it balanced, but... Um, Anyway, uh, so that's a bright – I just wanted to inject that optimism to all of you today. I wasn't able to hear. I, I just popped in, so I didn't hear what came before regarding um, – I imagine you guys were talking more about Arden, but, but um, 
Yeah, we were. Yeah. And but just I, for I, I reference, wanted... it's a project mm-hmm. Aristotle. Uh, yes, it is. Project and Aristotle. 180 yeah. teams, researchers interviewed hundreds of executives, team leads, and team members. That was the study. I just posted the link up at the top. Fantastic. Thank you for being our. Actually, I know the person that coined the term Google Jockey. This was in early, this is probably in 2001. Um, Justin Hall coined the term. He never got credit for it. But it, it was when it was it was the first era where we were able to have Google up on screen while we were talking at the front of the room and have somebody be the essentially the DJ and post it. So here we are in Clubhouse. How many years later? So, yeah, anyway, it seems like you. now we use it for fact checking. Denise, you are the resident optimist. <laughs> um, not on this one. Sorry, hate, hate to be, uh, break, break Are you to sad you. that she's that she's resigned? I'm devastated that she has resigned, um, and in a way that is completely unfair to her. Completely unfair to her. Um, you know, one of the challenges that we have still is that um, women don't get to be individuals. You know, they are by just by nature going to be like representative of the group. I mean, we're even talking about it in the, in those terms in this conversation, like are women like this, are women leaders like that. And I appreciate Royfield's comment because the truth of the matter is we don't even have enough data to know how women leaders are because we don't often get the opportunity to be um, the top person. Um, And I think the, the, the ramifications and the way her decision will be abused and misused by male leaders um, to diminish the contributions of women. I don't know uh, that that's probably my big worry. That um, is not, mine too. That yeah. It's not complete. fair to her. It's not her fault. I actually, um, the whole thing makes me incredibly sad because the truth of the matter is, is we just, we don't need, you know, more people to model themselves in the in the in the Mitch McConnell or even the Joe Biden style of of perennial never ending leadership, right? There is something lovely <laughs> about just never ending. It's a song that never ends. Like you have to die in the court in the in the um, Capitol building or die in the White House. Like this whole idea of like one group and it's a very boomer idea i would have to say too like that you stay forever um i love the notion of making room coming in like doing your best leaving it on the field until you can't do it anymore and then scooting over and letting somebody else do it but it's a revolutionary idea that does not fit in to kind of the still patriarchal way we approach business and leadership and how we think and talk about leadership. And so I'm, I'm worried that it's going to be all downside, um, uh, downstream, but I personally support her. I think it's an amazingly brave, sincere, honest, um, position. And, you know, I can't help also, connected in a weird way to the departure of, of Harry and Megan stay with me. I know you're like, wait, where is she going with this? Um, but this idea, <laughs> this idea that, you know, there is a potential for a new guard, but not if we wipe them out, not if we extract every ounce of juice from their bodies and their lives, if we require them to be brutalized, um, the social media environment and how it attacks our leaders is just, it, it is out of control. And, it, and what I, I, I'm with you, Dr. Francine, when you said, I'm afraid, like, good people won't want to do this. Good people they, won't. They already wanna, don't. They don't. And so how, like, to me, I, like, that, that's my worry, that, that um, we're, we're scaring more people off and, and reinforcing this, you know, song that never ends with the same group of people that have got to go. So, so I think Harry may lead the charge, though, there, Denise, on, you know, kind of maybe a, a hopefully a media reform. You think so? I don't know if they'll change the profit. The, like, you know, there's there's the profit motive to keep it going 
is so strong that I don't see what stops it. You know, this genie is out of the bottle. We um, we talk about people in the most hateful terms possible. We just do. That's kind of what we've got going on right now. Because it's a business model. Exactly. So what is going to stop that? And if we don't, you know, if we require our leaders to all be perfect, we won't get any leaders. But if we don't have mechanisms to like thoroughly um, engage our leaders and require like the basic minimums, we're going to end up with a with the leadership George of Santos. George Santos and Marjorie <laughs> Taylor Greene. Like that's all we're going to have. Well, it's also fueled by neuroscience. You know, the, the dopamine that happens from that kind of rousing, you know, kind of drama, conflict, hate speech. I think it's actually being documented by neuroscientists. So thought more yeah. for thought on that. Definitely. And, and I would, I would add to that, like, to me, it's very much, I know I'm all over the place today. I'm, I'm deep in thought today, but it's it's very much like the whole world went to the streets after George Floyd was murdered, right? The whole world. And guess what? Police budgets went up in 2022 and 2022 was the most killing of unarmed civilians in U.S. history since we've been recording Yep, a moment of respect for Rebecca for the Blacks, who got on Clubhouse last week and made that exact point. You so know, what, like, like the if the market forces don't change, to you know, like out, outrage isn't enough, and we need um, we need different things, different levers to be flicked, and I just don't see those other levers being flicked in any. In any meaningful way, anytime soon. So, so, uh, so, sorry, Dr. Francine, I am not living up to the Denise. <laughs> you know, Denise, I love you. I don't care what side of the fence you're on. I love to listen to your mind. So, my thing is a little bit different, and then I'll go to you, Ron or Andrea, both. Ron and then L were signing on. And also, oh, uh, we're, and as we're connected okay. to call in to anyone on call inside, please come on up to join the discussion as well. Okay, uh, but I but just wanted just, to say that these say older people. Can I just pardon say, Dr. Francine, I, I, you know, it hasn't gone unnoticed by me and other people on the stage that you love Denise more than the rest of us. Just saying, just saying. Oh well, I'm God. sweeter, Roy Field. This is deteriorating into a Greg Sattel room. (laughs) Boy, Phil, stop complaining and step up, all right? That's right. (laughs) Denise comes and steps up. That's that's exactly right and brings it. No, the reason I said that is because there's some stats for this. I I posted a link at the top. This is a a Geneva business school that actually outlined, uh, summarized some of the studies about men and women. And you will notice that they're not that different in terms of initiative and all that stuff. Sorry, uh, Ron was up and then Al. All right. Hey, hi, everyone. Hi, Ron. I, I think that we are stepping in and out of stereotyping we we hear oh good boy thank you for saying (laughs) thank you for acknowledging yeah i think we here in in this clubhouse group we're doing that uh so for instance probably we'd be inclined if i can speculate to say oh tulsi gabbard there she is she's very feminine but she's a military officer she's very warm and reasonable and sexy and she's got this whole mixture and isn't that amazing look at this look at this very female woman who's also assertive what a paradox no she's just a human being with a lot of virtues and a lot of interesting things about her but let me pick an even better example of where we might step into it i read barbara isn't here because she would be all over what you just said but don't uh, I'd, I'd love to hear any pushback, but I want to give my other example. Um, you know, the most feminine, gracious, warm, caring, great leader. Maybe. Me. Now, do you want to interrupt me for the sake of joking or do you want to hear my point? Maybe. 
the person who won more states as president in a U.S. election than anyone in history. And the woman I'm referring to is Ronald Reagan. Of course, you're saying, wait, he's not a woman. Yeah, but he has all these female traits that you've been talking about, which is my point. He's a person. He's funny. He's gracious. He's warm. He's caring. He's thoughtful. He's nurturing. Uh, he's dearly loved, and he he wins the highest presidential vote of any president in history. He's a person. How about a little bit more focus on what is the ideal person? What are the traits we want in a person? In tr- instead of working so hard to associate these ideal traits with gender or race or height or anything like that or age, let's just think in terms of the ideal person. This is Ron. I think that's an interesting thought, but if um, if that was the truth, if that was the way we navigated the world, then why is the most diverse Congress you've ever had 91% white? Is it because white people are better, they're smarter, they jump higher, they dance better? No, it's because we have constructs that create a demand for a certain kind of person with a certain kind of background. So I think it's it's interesting that the, 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 the sentiment is a lovely sentiment, but I think the devil's in the details of how did you, how then do you manifest the changes that need to happen in terms of creating a more equitable representation in our leadership. It's not just the people, it's not just the people, right? It's also how we as voters, how we as citizens interact with those people, what our expectations are, what is appropriate behavior, how we value things like bravado and, and bloviating and, and, and chest beating that, become kind of de facto like this is what a good leader is and this is what a good leader isn't and so i I, I like the idea but it's the it's the execution where we kind of fall apart i think also let me pull back a bit on all of you guys because i think when we start focusing on the u.s we get this distorted view of the world um because of women leadership right that's and so so, and before l uh, handed off to l who was coming up next i wanted to point out this article that i posted on both clubhouse and call-in um, so basically, it goes through the countries where the women, the, the percentage of women in their parliaments. Which country do you think is number one and two for percentage of women in their uh, in their lower house or in one of their parliaments? No, it's not Finland us. or Norway. No, Israel. No, it's Rwanda. Rwanda. Sixty-one percent of their lower house is women, and upper house is only thirty-eight percent. And second is Cuba, is fifty-three percent of their the three hundred thirty-two seat, three hundred twenty-two seats of the six hundred five seats are occupied by women. Bolivia is third. Mexico fifth is Sweden. Grenada is sixth. Namibia, Costa Rica, Nicaragua. And you see the you see the uh, the the regions, right? It's it's a lot of regions that are you wouldn't expect, and you we should expect actually, but we are focused no, we on the Scandinavians. We only don't expect it because we're so North America centric, right. Euro focused, and also North American. No, because... please speak for yourself. <laughs> no, but I mean Brazil. Oh, yes, right. Brazil is doing well. Oh, Brazil, how are you doing? I wanted to clarify my point. I was not arguing that there is no bigotry and racism and bias. I was arguing that we, we in this group right here and now, we should be valuing people by their virtues, by the ideals. We should not be playing the game of tribalism and identity politics. We shouldn't be playing into that. Let's evaluate people on their virtues. L. Uh, I, I, I like. To, sorry, Roy Phil. L has been waiting. Sorry, L. Sorry. L. I'll, I'll, go ahead, Roy Go ahead, Roy. Um, I, I think what, what Denise said was utterly spot on, and you, Hyman, have uh, reminded the Americans on the stage that there is a world, a political world outside of the United States, and and when it comes 
down to the United States, in terms of just one statistic alone, it is now an outlier, even within the Western world. You literally can't think of a Western country which hasn't at least had one female leader. So the way in which women are viewed, um, political uh, female leaders are viewed, is different from men. And the foremost example of, you know, a Western woman can lead a nation and she can be as strong as a man is most definitely going to be Margaret Thatcher. But even she changed her voice be uh, when she became prime minister. And, and this is well documented that she, because people said she, she whined just the natural way that she spoke. And how many female uh, leaders can we name where people say they just don't sound right? Margaret Thatcher didn't sound right. She lowered her voice by an octave. She went through elocution lessons to, be, to, be more, to have more gravitas, to not, be, not sound like a typical woman. And that should give us all pause for thought. Well, we've been conditioned, you know, to associate certain things with men and with power because that's been our history. But, you know, Denise, I want to jump in here on the, like, uh, positive, optimistic side of this and say that, you know, I, I think that this is a shift. It's a, it can be a positive shift in values because when we're talking about um, empathy, we're also talking about vulnerability. We're talking about letting people be real which is something that is harder and harder the more visible and higher up and more pressure someone has in, in the world and in the workforce. And when it comes to talking about, you know, Ron, when you're talking about don't not make this about men or make this about women, there are certain pressures that women have that men don't have. And I'm generalizing, of course. And some of those pressures are the pressures that we put on ourselves because women feel like I'm the only one who can do it. Women feel like I have to do all of it myself and I have to do it the best. And women don't get the same support that men do. So, you know, she was out in the workforce. She had a child. She had all of the pressures that a man has, but also the pressures at home because those are not being equally distributed still in 2023. So there's a lot to look at here. I mean, I would like to see this as a time to think about supporting the idea of leaders taking a pause and leaders being real and being vulnerable and, you know, being able to say, I don't, I only have so much bandwidth. I think that's healthy. And I think that that's a movement that, that I would certainly endorse. That used to happen. Um, Katarina, you have a degree in neuroscience. Hello? Yes, hi. I'm sorry. I was away from the phone for a little bit. Uh, yeah, I do. What? In what terms? Well, is this a gender thing or, a, you know, a gender issue? Is it a... Um, issue of every leader needing to step out. What's the science behind? I, I know I've said science. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, you know, to be honest, I think we, in, the, in those terms, we still have a lot to discover. Uh, you know, brain differences between male and female are there and what or what it will affect and behavior is still, you know, up for discussion, interpretation, but also more data collection in that field. You know, historically, uh, female uh, subjects and studies and so have been largely underrepresented and then also different from different cultures on top. So I think we have to learn way more about that, especially in the perspective from different cultures, how it varies, because at least so far, my intuition, which, yeah, as I said, I don't have enough data to, to back it up, but is that it's, you know, highly um, cultural, uh, how we grow up and, you know, how um, our society and also our family and so on display role models and 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 the pressures we create ourselves um and not so much an intrinsic um feature of being leaders and how we lead and so on i can just say that as an example i believe in singapore and portugal um surprisingly 
maybe for some people, not for myself, have one of the highest um, numbers in female leaders and also inventions like patents and so on. And um, how females see themselves and how they are in leadership. Because, you know, already in my great-grandmother's age, there were leaders in universities, schools, uh, and even companies because it was not a big deal to be a mother and have somebody to take care of your kids and, and follow your um, follow your career for a long time. Not in maybe every uh, layer of society, probably like a more... Um, you know, wealthy society back in time, but uh, education levels and leadership levels have been, you know, quite uh, different than in other countries, let's say Germany, where I grew up, which was very rare. And it was kind of not seen as something good to be a mother that works. There was this term Rabenmutter, so raven mother. You basically put your egg into another uh, family's nest and let them uh, deal with your kids was basically the view and I think this still persists and I think it you can see how uh, comfortable women in Portugal feel like um, uh, speaking up and uh, criticizing and uh, but on the other hand divorce rate is really high in Portugal one of the highest I think it's up to 70% by now because there's a long, long history of women being completely financially independent of of the spouse, which, you know, um, probably won't deal with a lot of shit that you deal with uh, if you are financially dependent. So, um, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think the longer we live, we won't have this lifelong relationships anyways in the future. But... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's what I can say from, you know, observing. And I think it takes a few generations to adapt to that, you know, having power and financial independence, which gives you a lot of freedom to speak up and, and to, you know, make choices independently. Thank you. But Benita, um, you, your work is in... You, you do gender work the way Barbara does. And so uh, I've been missing Barbara all day. So could you be Barbara for a few minutes? And thanks I'd for joining it. us, Bonita. And yeah. sorry, just for update, uh, thank you all for joining the Karma Club. And we're actually simulcasting as usual on Clubhouse as well as Colin. And Brady, uh, you're online. You'll be up next. Thank you. Thank, welcome, Bonita. Thank you. And uh, I, I'm not as aware of the specifics about, uh, I'm, I appreciate being brought up to date about what happened with uh, um, Arden. Uh, but I, what, what I want to contribute specifically about differences is, uh, first of all, um, with regards to the value of having the diverse people part, uh, represented, I'll, I'll refer to Barbara's work on uh, identifying, and I've used this for years myself, the difference between the more divergent thinking and the convergent thinking. Um, that, and it doesn't mean that only women have divergent thinking, but it, many women do. And I've put different language to it. Uh, in my research, when I, I interviewed Carol Bartz when she was second in command at Sun Microsystems way back in the early 90s, and she identified that... Um, she was able to see all the ramifications of a given issue as opposed to focusing on what's the highest priority solution. And she called herself a fire preventer. And that, that language, and it also cued me to that we need the language to describe these different competencies. I call them relational competencies. And um, uh, I can see where Arden could, she could see what was going on. I, she may have applied her her fire prevention thinking both to herself as well as to the country um, and anticipating strategically 
that uh, for her own health and the health of her family, um, as well as for the health of the country, it was time for her to step down. That is um, totally what she said. She said, literally, um, I don't have enough left in the tank to do this job anymore. And that, of course, has been quoted all over the world. And I I think it's wonderful, you know, that, that she... But, ha- but, and what I want to encourage you to do is to think of her as a fire preventer, because we have an emphasis on identifying leaders that are firefighters. We need both firefighters and fire preventers. And that's why I want to emphasize, that's my, my role working with Barbara is I've, I've put language to these competencies that we don't otherwise use. And I've actually had women tell me, I had one woman at Intuit tell me once that uh, she realized that she said, just last week, my boss told me that he never hears about my projects. I realize I'm a fire preventer and I have to let him know what I'm doing to prevent fires. Otherwise, it doesn't show up. It doesn't register. Um, and that's what, uh, you know, that I, I am an advocate for, for people, both men and women, both relational and what I call individualistic thinkers, to be able to identify uh, what I call adapt and adopt. Adapt others to how you are, your leadership, and your competencies. Um, and uh, also to be able to adopt the language and how to speak to the other um and uh so that and that goes for both individualistic and relational and there's some people that are combinations thereof especially influenced by by culture but that's my what i wanted to contribute uh both in terms of this specific situation that i would say i would say that she was probably doing fire prevention and uh, empathy has a lot to do with that, uh, being able to get in the shoes of the, the customer or the community. Um, I also think that uh, the lack of relationship, you know, when you see the world through relationship and, and solve problems through relationship, uh, when the attacks are so strong, um, I, could, I could understand her saying, I don't have it in me anymore. You know, I've got to have more, more people with me to be able to do this. Um, and uh, and again, but, but well, Bonita, why yeah. don't men ever say that? Why doesn't Joe Biden say it? I mean, it's visible that he doesn't have any more in the tank. You you know. And, well, or, or, you know, Mitch McConnell. I mean, Mitch McConnell's 88. Well, uh, you know, that's... Um, I could say something from yeah, a geriatric... Yeah, role. why don't you go ahead and you speak? No, no, I'm, uh, I'm just thinking, like, I mean, from a geriatric sense, I mean, from the elderly population, you notice that people, once they retire... The women actually are much more active in their life. They still have things to do because they've always been the people who look after the homes, the children, the husbands, you know, everything and do their work. Right. So after they retire, they have some they have things to do while men, they are lost. At least it's a generational thing, too. Right. Up to a certain generation. But they are lost without work or without some thing to do during the day. They dwindle. And they decline severely. So I think a lot of these people, they actually hang on to these things because that's what they know and that's what they've done. They're, they've not never been in, you know, involved in the other stuff that makes life. Um, maybe that's one of the reasons. But also there's vanity and money. Who knows? Sorry, Benita. No, I think that, thank you. Don't need to say sorry. I think that's a great contribution. Um, absolutely. Um uh, the sense of identity and who are who am I if I'm not this, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, well, and there's there's also the masculinity part of uh, of declaring yourself com- defeated, so to speak. Um, but uh, anyway, I there's I, an I interesting just, point that Brady on the Colin side raised. He put some female leaders that listed Brady. I'll let you speak to it. But I have a funny feeling that uh, these these ladies, from my uh, knowledge of them, is that they have been attacked quite a lot by everyone else for being that strong uh, advocate for things. Sorry, Brady, go ahead. Brady, 
on the Colin side? Oh, there you go. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I was wondering um, what your list of top female leaders might be, or who your list of female leaders might be. For me, before you guys name any of my favorite female leaders, would be Abby Martin, Vandana Shiva. Abby Martin's a journalist. Vandana Shiva is like an activist slash scientist. Uh, Elaine Ingham is a brilliant soil uh, science lady, uh, soil scientist. And um, another one would be uh, Whitney Webb is a brilliant journalist who kind of exposed the Jeffrey Epstein network. And she's just like kind of uh, raised the bar on journalism across the world. Her and Abby Martin as well. Hedy Lamar, that actress who was a brilliant mathematician inventor. Oh, yes. And uh, 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 Stephanie Seneff, who is just a brilliant, um, she's very much like Vandana Shiva. Uh, she has a PhD in computer science and computer engineering, and also a PhD, I think, in like uh, quantum physics as well. And they both happen to be very focused on human health, <laughs> just completely out outside of uh, the conventional uh study but they know how to study and they've become really interested in human health and they've actually been really helpful in those areas well that is interesting thank you so much brady um we're gonna take um david who hasn't spoken yet and andrea i'm not sure michael and... That's all. michael spoke oh sorry but yeah, I, if you want to go to michael that's fine I want David and Andrea because then we're going to close out the room. But I well, would I, urge people to listen to the replays on this because we've we've wandered a little bit, but we've hit some very interesting points. David? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, I can. All right, perfect. Um, well, I... I don't want to steal the uh, gender thunder here, but I do want to kind of point towards like the mental health aspect of burnout. And a good buddy of mine went, he was working for the state under the adult child protective services in Texas here. Um, he's been there for a while and he went back and got a PhD in human capital management. And he first started to come into these concepts of uh, empathy from the other direction. And if we think about it, a lot of people, um, we're trying to clear the space for mental health. If if Justine had enough people that loved her, look at how old Obama got in eight years of office. This is in those positions you have you inherit so many um, positions that may be ancestral and not your position, and to not speak towards. The outrage of a young parent. I have eight-year-old twins, and eight years ago, the concept just there's so many accelerations that are happening that I, I want to say that maybe she was awesome enough to accept the embrace of other people to tell her that she was losing her own life if she didn't step aside, and that there's plenty of other people that take it, take the reins, and she's done well. And in in a, in some ways, the lack of uh, uh, testosterone might be saving that the moment we want to all kind of tip our hat to is knowing not just when to, but that it takes a community, it takes a village to, to do this project of good leadership. And that maybe there weren't enough support for enough women that accomplished enough for her to, to not be like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and give her entire life to be still honored but not, I don't know, lionize and, and hero worship that they have to do it until it takes everything out of their own soul. Maybe that's all I have to say. That's, that's enough, and I'm uh, warned. Andrea, close us out. Well, I, just taking a step back, um, I'd like to do the following. I'd like to just quickly say I'd like to share one of my, uh, briefly, one of my favorite women leaders is a, a young woman, uh, from the villages in Rajasthan, Hinsla in Rajasthan, India, who um, said no to her early 
child marriage, uh, stopped her own, stopped her sisters, and went on to advocate in her village to stop 14 more additional child uh, marriages. Um, a lot of these type of invisible heroes and leaders um, that don't hit the press are definitely worth uh, mentioning. Um, and then the other, uh, probably my mom too, <laughs> but anyway, I won't go into my own home story. I'm just fascinated by, you know, the global comparisons and the fact that I think that truly we thought, you know, we are half, if not more than half the population, I don't have the statistic in front of me, and we are still like working and clawing our way for uh, gender parity in the states in terms of salaries and so many more. I think also, um, I think that there is space for a room, and I'm not sure who should lead it, but breaking down this concept of identity politics. Uh, pros you! And, pros and cons to it. Hold on. And then also the other thing uh, I wanted to say was that um, there's also... Uh, a need to look, you know, at, uh, we need to look at things sy systematically as well, like the systems that are in place, like uh, support for families and policies for families that have contributed to um, whether or not somebody advances through the workplace uh, and, you know, also whether or not that's somebody's uh, goal uh, and whether they have equal opportunity or not, because as someone else mentioned earlier, the undervaluing of child care or home care or, you know, uh, unpaid home care is phenomenal. And Juliet Shore and so many others. I mean, we've been talking about this for ages and there have been some advances and it's incredible how much further we have to go, not just in the United States, but, but globally. Thanks for hosting this. Okay, everybody. So once again, I love you. I thank you for coming and educating me, especially today. Really wonderful group of women leaders. Yes. Francine, just one final thought, which is that, you know, there is a global agenda where civil society and private sector and government agencies and activists around the world have, like, in this, um, you know, they're called, it's, people don't often like to talk about the UN, but it's called the Sustainable Development Goals. And uh, there are strong arguments. I think it's SDG 4, which is for um, gender equality. And it is so critical for, uh, it's like a chicken and the egg. It's so critical for achieving so many of the other goals uh, to build a, a more inclusive uh, kind of society moving forward um, for everybody. So gender is and, and I would say we did not include you know transgender we were a bit um, cis hetero in this room today <laughs> we haven't you know kind of expanded the concept of gender beyond uh, women but that was a focus of today's room but um, oh, thanks for wow. bummer I, I would have liked to have included that but I will think on it for next week and we'll think about um, yeah, we'll think. Sorry, the only reason I brought the Afghanistan up is actually you could show how fragile it is to uh, women in leadership positions. They could lose it like that quick, so quickly in one in a span of just a couple of months, right? Oh, yeah. Just That's like a... here in the United States, access to health care. But, I mean, no education for women. Unbelievable. Well... I'm going to, this Benita, I'm going to add one more thing about the Sustainable Development Goals that, that UN Women have declared a project, Planet 5050. They say that the only way we're going to get to the Sustainable Development Goals is through 50-50 representation of, of men and women, and I will add, and the full spectrum of gender um, at every decision-making table. But I think that's that's something that's really important to, to recognize and hear 192 countries have bought on to the Sustainable Development Goals. Okay. I think they're still launching an equality moonshot, uh, similar to the Earth shots that have been launched out of the UK, uh, with like David Attenborough and all these like shows and prizes around uh, achieving um, a breakthrough or something on a particular theme. I think they have, they're maybe launching at Davos uh, an equality um, moonshot. Oh, wow. Okay, back to watching Davos. Oh, it's probably over. 
because it's eight hours later. They're seven hours later. All right. Thank you, everybody. You, you people are my gift. You continue to educate me. I'm hoping I continue to learn. And I love all of you. And I'll see those of you who wish to return next week. Take care. Take care, all. Thanks for joining us from Clubhouse and Colin. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Take care. Bye, everyone. Go, ladies. Thank you.